When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Podcast. What is up, college lacrosse fans? You are watching another episode of the Lax Factor Lacrosse Podcast. This is episode 83. Today, we are going to talk about Yale beating Penn State, Princeton beating Virginia, Hopkins losing to UNC. We'll talk about a couple other games. Ohio State Bucknell, I thought would be interesting. Cornell High Point, I thought would be interesting. And we'll get into some other stuff beyond that. Before I get into it, wanted to say a quick word about our sponsor. Time to get that cheddar. Uh, Sideline Swap, best place to buy and sell lacrosse gear. Hard to find college gear. Pre-owned heads, shafts, helmets, and more up to 70% off retail. So go to sidelineswap.com or click the link in the description below. That's probably the easiest way to get there. As we dive into these games here, Uh, The first game I wanted to talk about was the Princeton and the uh, Virginia game, the upset uh, that we saw there. Michael Sowers, we can't, I can't say enough good things about the kid. I've been screaming from the rooftops that I think Michael Sowers is the best player in Division I lacrosse. Uh, I started that whole shtick last year until Pat Spencer proved it was his uh, Tewartan Award to win, uh, hands down. Uh, So this year, Sowers, to me, Sowers is the Pat Spencer of last year. Against UVA... On Princeton's side of the ball, Sowers goes for four goals and four helpers, three ground balls, and only two turnovers. And why that's important is when you carry the ball as much as Sowers does, to only turn the ball over twice is ridiculous. Chris Brown and Phil Robertson each put up four goals, mostly, uh, not mostly, but partially thanks to Sowers. Eric Peters in cage for Princeton came out huge today, 16 saves versus 12 goals against. On UVA's side of the ball, the, the usual suspects were quiet, and I'll talk about why. Kraus, two goals, two assists. Laviano, three and one. Matt Moore, two and two. Docs Aitken, two goals. Alex Rode was, wasn't bad. He was 14 saves uh, versus the 16 goals against. So he was just two saves short of uh, being above 500. Uh, the keys, I think, in this win, uh, beyond the fact that Michael Sowers is the, is the fucking man, is physical defense. Princeton... They didn't force a bunch of turnovers. They didn't take the ball away at an amazing clip, but they played very physical defense without drawing penalties. And more importantly, they they stayed on the hands and they continually pestered those attackmen. Key guys, Moore and Kraus, who typically will dodge and distribute a little bit more. They stayed all over Aitken. They played good help defense. They recovered well, but they stayed out of the penalty box. UVA only had three EMO chances, and they were one and three in those chances. So that stat line throughout that game was pretty solid overall. Princeton had two more shots on goal than UVA did. UVA you know, kind of missed the cage quite a bit. Um, Princeton had two more saves than UVA did. UVA won the ground ball battle by a lot. That could almost be a negative, though, because maybe they only did that because they were playing sloppy, putting the ball on the deck a lot. So in this game, in the end, the big difference and the reason Princeton won was because of Mike Sowers. You remove Mike Sowers from that 
field and you put a guy who's only 75% as good as Mike Sowers uh, to replace him, that, that's still a really solid lacrosse player. Princeton doesn't win that game. They lose by five. Sowers was the difference maker. He proved on that field that day he was the best player by far, uh, not just by his points output, by, but by the, the way he did it with the, the amount of attention that he gets for him to spill, still be able to dodge, get separation. You really can't overhelp. You can't just go automatic slide with a guy like Sowers because if you send that help automatically, he's going to kill you. So to a degree, Virginia was kind of forced to leave poor uh, Kaloji on the island, and Kaloji had a really, really tough time handling Sowers throughout that game. So, you know, it's like one of those things where you want to pick up, hey, what's the key to this game? What adjustments did they make to make this work? It, it was just UVA couldn't stop Sowers because nobody can. And uh, they did a noble effort. It was it was a valiant job. Kaloji actually had some moments where he played really tough. It's just Sowers just keeps coming at you, coming at you, coming at you. And eventually, what are you going to do? The My favorite line from the telecast was, uh, how do you stop Sowers? And I think it was Ward that, that said it, uh, win faceoffs and don't let him touch the ball. And that's legitimately the only way you can stop Sowers, limit his touches, limit the, uh, the amount of flow that he can get in the game. And Virginia just wasn't able to do that in that day. So a hell of a game. Obviously, this does not mean anything outside of Princeton's much better than everybody thought, and Mike Sowers is much better than a lot of people knew, and Virginia is still going to be formidable. They're still one of my favorites to win it all. Their their roster all the way through is disgusting. I think if these teams played 10 times, I think Virginia wins six or seven of those 10. I think this was just Princeton's day. It was Mike Sowers' day. And sometimes that's just the way it goes. Another incredible game that I wanted to talk about, Yale and Penn State. Number three, Yale. Number one, Penn State. And I actually picked this line on my own, uh, Yale by two. So I called it, and then when uh, Skatis and I sat down and we kind of went through it, he won me over properly. You know, if you're looking at what Vegas is going to do, a Vegas line, they're going to reward a team in the poll that, that's higher ranked in polls, power rankings. They're going to re- reward the team that, you know, I don't know. It, there was a lot of reasons that I think that when we when we picked, I think what it ended up being Penn State at minus one and a half or one and a half point favorite. It was like, uh, all right, we kind of have to do that just because of how everything shook out. But in the end, I felt like Yale was the better team. And partly it's because of TD Earl and. And uh, that proved to be true here. Yale, uh, usual suspects. They didn't put up a ton of points, but they all showed. Jackson Morrill, a goal and two helpers. Brandau, Krop, and Gaudet, two goals each. Penn State, you know, we have a healthy dose of Grant Amet. Goal and uh, five helpers. O'Keefe, Malone, and Kelly, two goals each. O'Keefe was quiet. That hurt them. Uh, the goalies, Brody Wilson, uh, you know, Jack Starr uh, finding the bench and Brody Wilson getting the start so far uh, this season. Eight saves, 10 goals against. Kobe Kinese was really solid today in this loss. 16 saves, two goals against. If Kobe Kinese just plays average and just puts up 12 saves, this game isn't even necessarily close. So Kobe Kinese helped keep Penn State in this uh, by playing pretty solid throughout the game. I think the big keys to to Yale winning this game, and it's going to be a key if and when they play again, TD Erlin, 16-26 from the faceoff dot. That's good enough. I bet you TD Erlin is a little bit disappointed with that. Arsarian Company, that's not that bad. I think that they said in the telecast at one point they had only won 27% of the faceoffs that they uh, took versus Yale the previous year. So this isn't a bad look for Penn State. They They won 10 of 26. I mean, that's that's a couple more possessions, I think, than they anticipated getting. I know Arseri, Arseri being the competitor he is, he wants to go out there and split, if not beat TD. 
but I would say to Arsari and company that you did a valent job, and that's not a bad um, a bad game versus a TD, 10 to 26. Um, Penn State turnovers, that was another problem. 25 turnovers, only nine of them uh, were credited as caused turnovers to Yale in the stat line. So that's way too many turnovers. I think Yale turned it over at a fair clip also. I think Yale had a hard time clearing the ball. But uh, 25 turnovers was, I think, two more than what Yale had in the end. Penn State shots. They took 47 shots, and only 28 of them were on cage. Now, the stat line was a little screwed up because the stat line said only 18 of them were on cage, but the 10 goals also must have been on cage. And Canise had 16 saves, so you know I kind of did the math and figure it's 28, 28 shots on cage or so, and that's not good when you're taking 47 shots in the game. That means they just sailed 18 to 20 shots or so. And I think another reason Yale won was because while they were beating up on on Amet, uh, O'Keefe was being constantly hounded. That, that's one of the toughest things to do is to guard uh, Mac O'Keefe off ball. And Yale did a good job as a team trying to keep those off ball looks limited overall, especially as it pertained to O'Keefe. And then when he did get shots, they were on his hands. He was sailing them things like that as well. Overall, great game. I'm not the least bit surprised by that outcome, especially because I have proof that I did call that uh, the, what, three days before I'd picked Yale by two. And um, I think if these teams played 10 times, I think they split five, five and five. I I think maybe Yale is one game better. So maybe we go six, four over that. But I mean, once again, just like with Virginia losing to Princeton, not that big of a deal when you look at the full season. Same thing here. Uh, Penn State lost to Yale, what, twice last year? And um, that so that's the norm, Penn State. This might even be good for Penn State in terms of them being able to grow a little bit and the guys that did get shut down like O'Keefe, maybe learn a little bit from that, watch the game film, figure out a couple of tricks of trying to shake some of these Yale guys if they play again and then just prevent that from happening against other teams they play. So another great game. Penn State's going to be fine. And as obviously Yale, the new number one, uh, very deserving. Another game. North Carolina going into Homewood and putting it on Hopkins. Hopkins, I'm still not totally out on Hopkins. I think that if you can get Epstein back and get Epstein back and healthy, that changes their whole season. The problem with Hopkins is their schedule is brutal, and if they drop a couple more of these non-conference games as they're getting ready to lead into, I mean, they still got to play Syracuse. They've got Their schedule is brutal overall. So don't count them out. You get Epstein back on that field, much different team. Even the, I think part of the problem here, and teams are saying, well, look at how bad their defense is. They're giving up a lot of goals, uh, and and they gave up 17 to North Carolina. Part of that is when your offense sucks, which is their offense has been terrible so far this season. It's going to translate into giving up some goals. It's going to translate into you not having a flow. It's going to translate into getting into guys' heads. So Playing terribly on offense is going to cause you more troubles on defense. I think considering losing their best defender before the season, well, you know, we call him their best defender. He's not on the team right now, so that obviously wasn't the case. But you lose a an All-American caliber defender uh, to start the season, you know, before the season even starts technically, and have the defense play as well as they have, and Darby's played solid in cage and, you know, things like that. I think that overall they haven't done as bad of a job as I thought they would. I thought the offense would fare better. Even maybe without Epstein, I thought the offense would be better than this. And I thought the defense was was the part, uh, the, the aspect of the team that was going to struggle the most. And that hasn't been the case. The defense, I think, has done a good job considering what they've had to deal with with the offensive struggles. And that's that. Keys to the route. Oh, well, and before we get to that, I mean, one of the reasons that this route happened in the first place, healthy dose of Chris Gray, he puts eight goals on Hopkins with a helper. Nikki, and then 
the the perfect complement around Chris Gray. All these guys, you just look at these stat lines and you see that this team offensively is built in a very special way. Nikki Solomon and Alex Trippi, they both go for a goal and three helpers. That's huge because when you have a, a goal scorer like Gray, a goal scorer like Cook and Anderson, to have these guys that can both score goals by dodging and feeding, huge. So Solomon and Trippi, one and three. Tanner Cook goes three and one. Great shooter from outside. Justin Anderson, two and one. Great all-around player. Good dodger, good shooter. Jacob Kelly, one and two. All of these guys that are just filling in around Chris Gray. It, it, I, I've said it over and over again, and I'll say it one more time. I'll probably say it a lot more. Uh, these guys are just the perfect group of guys to surround uh, a guy like Chris Gray with. So offensively, these guys are going to fill it up all year, and they are teams that play North Carolina. Say what you want about questioning North Carolina's defense and how good are they on the defensive side of the ball. It will matter when it come, when they start playing better teams, but offensively, no matter who they're playing, they can outscore teams even where their defense isn't playing great. So that's always going to be a key for Carolina. Teams are going to have to limit Chris Gray, but if you can limit Chris Gray, they have a ton of other offensive weapons that are going to sting you uh, to replace that output, and uh, you have to be careful with Carolina. Keys to the route overall. They stayed out of the box. UNC stayed out of the box. Hopkins didn't. Hopkins has five minutes worth of penalties. At least one of them I saw as I watched the game and noticed it was non-releasable. And I think UNC scored twice off that penalty. UNC overall goes five of seven uh, on uh, extra man opportunities. Hopkins overall, way too many unforced errors. 15 turnovers to UNC's 11. And I think UNC only was credited with causing three of them. So, you know, we're sitting here looking at, you know, 12, 10 to 12 uh, turnovers that Hopkins committed that were unforced. And in a game like this where you're struggling to get any points, you can't turn the ball over like that. Hopkins couldn't clear the ball. A lot of their turnovers were in the clearing game, 13 of 19, uh, clearing the game to UNC 16 of 17. And then UNC won the ground ball battle 21 to 20, 29 to 21. So when you look at the box score, whereas the Princeton Virginia game, it looked kind of like you'd almost say Virginia won the box score. They just didn't win the score in this game. UNC won the box score, and if you didn't see the score, but you looked at that box score, you would assume UNC won by five to seven goals. In the end, it was just a total shit show offensively for Hopkins, a total shit show in terms of clearing the ball. They played a terrible game all the way through, honestly, but defensively, I think they're still a little bit better So I think than I thought they would be. So I think once they get Epstein back, they may be able to shore a few of those things up. Now, I wanted to talk about, and I talked about these in the audio podcast earlier, but Ohio State, Bucknell has a really solid team. And I thought York and Sopco and company, Sopco against Ohio State at home puts up four and one. York, Will York puts up three and oh. I thought Bucknell might be able to upset Ohio State at home. It didn't happen. Ohio State gets to win 15 11. Uh, Ohio, they improved to three and one. My problem with Ohio State over the past few years has been it, it felt like their schedule was really weak. And this year, that hasn't been the case. Myers, in this game specifically, 4-4, four and four, Trey LeClaire, 4-0, Jackson Reed, 3-1, and Inacio and Terrafanko, both healthy, healthy and playing. Uh, and Kersan has played tough and cage for Ohio State. So that's going to be important for them. But more importantly, they're putting up points. And more importantly than that, they're playing solid teams. So far, Detroit Mercy, they get a win over them 23-9. Detroit Mercy is not a terrible team. I mean, that's a good team to play to get some early season practice. Boston U, similar. It's a solid overall team. UMass is a very good team. They lost to UMass uh, at home 7-9, to and then they beat Bucknell. So, I mean, these aren't the cupcakes that Ohio State typically plays, and they have Cornell next 
Hofstra after that, Notre Dame after that, Denver after that, before they get into their conference play. So Ohio State, I commend them for, and Nick Myers, the head coach there, for beefing up their schedule, trying to get ready for that brutal, brutal stretch that is now the uh, Big Ten. Rutgers, Penn State, Maryland, Hopkins, and Michigan, back to back to back to back to back. So that is cool for them. Another game, I talked about it in yesterday's audio podcast. Didn't put it up here, but I'll put it up here for the YouTube crowd. High Point and Cornell. The, the freshman Michael Long has been incredible for Cornell, so he's been a huge X factor and a reason they're putting up a ton of points. He goes four and three against High Point. Piatelli's been huge, six goals. Teat goes three and four for seven points. Donville, two and three. Uh, Cooper Telesco, one and two. So a lot of surprises in terms of guys just stepping it up and just production has been off the charts. And I talked about quickly about how High Point's offense has just looked completely different. It's like opposite day, as my kids like to say. And High Point's offense just has not figured it out. Asher Nolting's getting beat on, getting a lot of attention, not handling it great. One and three. I mean, he's still putting up points and he looks okay, but it, it, it's not what they expected. I, I know High Point expected to be able to run with teams a little bit more. We knew their defense wasn't going to be up to snuff when you lose an All-American goalie, but they did bring back a bunch of close defensemen. So I thought defensively they'd be solid enough and offensively I figured they'd be better they have been I'd say about the same defensively obviously not quite as good in cage but uh, uh, offensively they've been really rough not have not played great lacrosse at all as we rip through some other scores Loyola Rutgers was a great game 11-10 and uh, we saw that uh, let's see here Aiden Olmstead, he ended up having a pretty good game, uh, three and two, and that's what Loyola is going to need. They're going to need Olmstead to consistently put up four, five points. He can't get under three. Once if Olmstead is under three, Loyola is going to struggle a little bit. But then uh, Kamish three and zero, oh, uh, Swindell two and one, McNulty with the pole scores a goal, Lindley one and zero. Oh. So it's been good to see Loyola do that. That you know they ended up keeping Kieran Mullins and Gallagher quiet. Mullins goes two and one, Gallagher one and two. So that's the big. Uh, one of the big things, uh, Russo transfer goalkeeper has been solid for Rutgers. So he kind of kept them in this game a little bit more, uh, without Russo. Once again, it's not as close as it ended up being in the end. What other games do we have here? Uh, Binghamton and Lafayette. I, we had ended, I, I had picked Binghamton by a goal at home. Skatis wanted to go with Lafayette and he had decent reason revenge game because Binghamton beat Lafayette last year. And uh, ends up going into three overtimes, and Binghamton ed- edges out Lafayette by a goal. So that was a hell of a game. Navy and Maryland getting postponed because of a stomach bug, a.k.a. the norovirus. So you never want to see that. That's always pretty scary. Hobart. Hobart continues their offensive tear. Uh, they beat up on Colgate badly, 21-13. to 13. And, and anyone who, who hasn't been following Hobart or who didn't follow them last year, Hobart is a solid lacrosse team. Now, defensively, they're going to end up being a little bit suspect, but just like we talk about other teams uh, that, that, that can outscore teams, teams like Princeton now with Sowers, teams like, uh, um, I don't even know, my brain's not working. Uh, but anyway, Hobart, Eric Holden, he goes 5-2, and two, Jason Knox 5-0, and oh, John Harley, or Harley, I don't even, I'm number 43, man. I'm not even going to pronounce your name. I am sorry. Five goals, Derek Madonna, two and two. I mean, they fill it up. They go all over. Griffin Brown's still looking solid for Colgate. He goes four and one on the day. But uh, uh, Sam Lucchesi, the goalie for Hobart is solid. Defensively, like I said, they don't have any crazy ball stoppers or any shutdown defenders. But overall, you have a, a solid goalie in net to try to man that area. And then you have a bunch of guys who can just at least attempt to outscore teams, even good teams. So Hobart, that is an exciting one. 
And uh, their next game is at Syracuse on the 28th. And so all, a lot of people are like, oh, Syracuse should roach them. Or in the event that Syracuse doesn't roach them, people are going to be like, oh, see, Syracuse is overrated. That is is not the case here. Hobart sitting at 3-0 and right now. They've blown everybody out. Uh, Canisius, 22-8. Siena, 26-9. Colgate, 21-13. So this will be a test for Hobart for sure. Syracuse obviously should beat them. I'd probably, I haven't set the spreads yet, but I'll probably set the spread at uh, Syracuse, you know, minus four. Uh, four-point favorite or so. Uh, but do not be surprised if Hobart makes a very interesting game out of this. That absolutely could happen because Hobart is a quality club and they can outscore teams. And uh, Syracuse, shaky off ball a little bit here. They're not. I, I bet you Mellon will not play uh, this coming up weekend, so watch out for that also. We got a bunch of games today that are going down. We've got, um, let's see here, anything interesting? Georgetown against Mount St. Mary's. The Mount is legit. Georgetown can, can score them in bunches, so that'll be interesting to see. We have Virginia uh, hosting High Point tonight at 5, so that'll be a game to watch. High Point upset Virginia in Charlottesville last year. I don't see that happening again. Stony Brook Hofstra tonight at 6.30. That should be a good game, and then Mariston-Hartford should probably be interesting. I watched that matchup last year. Maybe I'll tune in and watch that one again. Uh, what else we got here? Denver beat Cleveland State. Uh, oh, the, the Notre Dame-Richmond game, 13-5. One of the polls has Notre Dame ranked super high. I'm not sure I agree with that. I'm The verdict is still out for me with Notre Dame, but coaches, the coaches poll specifically seems to really favor Notre Dame, and they really like Notre Dame, so we'll have to pay attention to that. One interesting thing with Notre Dame is we have the reemergence of a Kavanaugh. Uh, they had Kavanaugh, Matt Kavanaugh. Now they have Pat Kavanaugh, Matt's brother. He goes four and one. But uh, so far in Notre Dame's first two games, good old Pat Kavanaugh, he's put up, he's our leading scorer right now, seven and five with 12 points. Griffin Westland, who we knew was going to play solid, four and three. Brian Costabile, four and one over those first two games. So Notre Dame's going to be solid. I'm just not sure I'd have them ranked above Syracuse and a couple others in that coaches poll, but we'll see. But uh, that is it. Come back Thursday for the preview and the setting of the line show uh, where we're going to preview a bunch of the games that are coming up in the weekend. We may do a couple of recaps. Maybe we'll do a recap show tomorrow if we have the time for today's games. But definitely come back for Thursday's um, weekend preview and setting of the lines show, and we'll rip through all of that. As always, visit our sponsor, Sideline Swap. Link in the description if you want to get some used gear. And you can always go to laxfactor.com. Uh, to support us that way. You can buy some swag, hats, t-shirts, mugs, whatever. As always, thank you for watching. Oh, be sure to like, subscribe, and hit the notif notification bell and share it. But thank you for watching and enjoy.